Hello friends, this is Matt. I just wanted to give you a little heads up here. Uh, As you may know, uh, producing a podcast has lots of challenges and struggles. And every once in a while, it's hard to get everybody together to have a recording session. uh, Or sometimes our recording sessions fall on regular holidays, whatnot. And uh, there was a time when we were doing this when we would have plenty of reserve episodes And uh, we've kind of used all those up. So starting this week, for a little while, not for very long, but for a little while, I am going to start posting every other week. We're going to go bi-weekly for a little while, just so I can get a few episodes uh, saved up and give a little cushion. Because every episode takes quite a bit of time to edit uh, as well as record. And um, it's just it's a lot easier for me to do it if I have if I have a little bit of a cushion there. So if you are one who regularly keeps up with the podcast, I just urge you don't 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 get too discouraged if you don't hear one next week because there will be one the following week. And I won't make this go very long. I really do like to have them up once a week, but we've just run out of those extra episodes. So we keep looking forward to talking to you uh, every week. And uh, so now I'll leave you with this week's episode. We should be paying attention when these things show up over and over. And we should probably, instead of just a matter of history, looking backwards, say, wait a minute, is there any chance we're doing this today? Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today, we have Eric. Yep, that's me. Oh, you had me worried there, Eric. <laughs> and, we've, and we've got Karen. And that's me. We will not have Tracy today. He is recovering from some surgery. So um, so we have our prayers out for him for quick recovery and, uh, and feeling better soon. Uh, for our listeners' interest, uh, this is episode 86 2.0. We tried to do this this morning, and we had such hardware issues that I've never had before with this. Uh, just glitchiness and things just, uh, it was pretty much on my end. Uh, the problem was mine, I think, but uh, just uh, things were not recording well, and Skype wasn't behaving for us, and uh, at least not on my end. And so so um, you're hearing us try this again for the second time, and uh, we're really hoping that this is all going to go well for us. But yep, here we are. We are raring to go. It's a Sunday evening for us rather than, boy, we're just changing it up all over. We used to be on Saturday mornings, and then we tried Sunday morning, and now we're Sunday evening. So um, I know that our listeners probably don't care that much about it, but maybe it's interesting to them to, to see that, uh, you know, there's always little struggles and, and challenges. And, um, you know, do we cave or do we persevere? And I'm, I'm hoping that we can persevere. So we are into the book of Micah, and the context here is that we have been talking about the kingdoms of Judah and Israel as they split apart, as Israel. It's always been strange to me that Israel is basically who who split, but um, but it is basically the tribe of, who was it? It was Judah and... It's Judah and Benjamin. Benjamin, yeah, that's what I wanted Judah. to say, but I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't confident in that. And, and then, of course, you know, here and there, people came came in from uh, the other ten tribes as well, but uh, to be the kingdom of Judah. But so we've had really bad kings in Israel. 
we've had uh, back and forth with uh, kings in Judah, and the people have been uh, some of them sometimes great, sometimes not great. But we've ha- been having these prophets show up and start to give a message to uh, to the people, to the to well, yeah, both of the kingdoms really. But um, that there is something coming. We've talked about Isaiah some. We talked about Amos, and now we're hearing from Micah. In the book of Micah, it's uh, seven chapters long, so we're going to try to cover the whole book here tonight. And um, we're told that this is given to him in, this is uh, Micah 1, verse 1. We're told that this basically, this is a prophecy given to him during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah of Judah. And this is uh, a message being given uh, to those kingdoms at this time. So it begins with a warning. Basically, God is coming and there will there's going to be destruction. Now, saying God is coming, obviously, God is always there. He's been with them. He has been working with them for generations now. So but but uh, there's there's something special. There's something special happening here and they're not going to have fun with it. And we're told here it's going to be for the transgressions of Judah, or I'm sorry, the transgression of Jacob and the city of Samaria, and for the high places of Judah, and specifically for Jerusalem. And I believe that this is talking about how these are the capitals of those two kingdoms. And as the seats of power and influence there, they're being specifically pointed out. I suppose... I suppose to put this into a modern context, this would be like if if somebody started speaking to Washington D.C. You know, uh, we don't have we don't have a, a split kingdom here, so to speak. But um, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, not officially split, <laughs> but we 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 do definitely have our political differences in this country and and there is a split there i guess that's that's fair to say but um so i mean i guess you could be talking about uh i don't know nancy pelosi and uh, i don't know who who's big in the ted cruz i don't know you know something like that but that's just the first one that comes to mind i don't know but but um there are very some some specific and grim predictions for what is coming ahead for Samaria. Uh, basically, the destruction of everything that has been gained by their forsaking of God is going to be taken away. Now, uh, Micah, he he starts spelling out that he's got some. There's some intense mourning by Micah for what is what's going to happen. Um, because the problems of Israel have reached Jerusalem. And it even kind of goes on to sound like the problems of Israel and Judah are reaching their fingers out into the surrounding the surrounding areas. And the influence that they should have had has been kind of the opposite of what it actually is now. Micah 2 goes right into uh, a title there. It says the woe for evildoers. And there's a statement in verses one and two that's really it's against the people who have contemplated evil deeds before acting them out. Specifically, talking about robbing others 
through violence and oppression. So, I mean, this isn't like casual, this isn't like casual wrongdoing. This is, this is, uh, contemplated. It is, it's thought about, it's thought through. They, they know exactly how they're going to do it. They know what they want to do and they're just waiting for the opportunity. You guys have anything, uh, you know, that you want to add about that? I mean, I guess we kind of talked about that in, in, in previous and some of our previous episodes here. What Micah is saying is not totally unique. The way he says it in a few spots is, is poetic and different and so on. But his message, really, it shouldn't be a surprise that it's the same that the other prophets have because it's God's same message to his people. He keeps reaching out, asking his people to change their ways, and they haven't. And he said, punishment is coming to you. Yeah. So there are definite parallels here with other prophets. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I've really liked about the way we've been studying this chronologically lately, because you can read the Bible cover to cover, I don't know how many times, but until you, until you can really kind of figure out where it all sits in with everything, it's hard to, it's hard to know why they're saying what they're saying. Um, but now when we've had three different prophets saying basically the same thing um, at about the same time, it's really helped, helped me to place everything they're saying into into the context of you know where it is why it is why they're saying what they're saying and um yeah that's just it's just been helping me out a lot here the way it describes at the beginning of chapter two the nastiness that the people have been in getting up to it sounds you know we all know that god's people are supposed to be different we're supposed to be peculiar we're supposed to stand out from the crowd for good reasons um, people are supposed to know us by the love that we show one another and that doesn't mean fellow christians that means fellow mankind right but in this case he's talking to his people and he says woe to those who plan iniquity to those who plot evil on their beds at morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. Therefore, the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save themselves. You will no longer walk proudly for it will be a time of calamity. And you know what this reminded me of? Do you guys remember way back in Genesis where, where God says to, I think it was Abraham, where he says to Abraham, like, you can't go down to the promised land and have it yet because the nations who live there now have not yet, how did he say it? Like, uh, basically, yeah. they haven't run out of time to make good choices yet is the gist of it. Do you guys remember that? Oh, yes. yeah. Was he talking to Abraham? I can't remember who he was talking about. It was kind of one of the yeah. patriarchs. And yeah. it was like, you don't get to go to the promised land. Like, there is a promised land, and you will have it eventually. But you don't get to go there now because I'm still working with the nations that live there. And then they didn't go there for 400 years. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what God's patience is all about. So when, when at the beginning of chapter 2, when it says, woe to those who are doing this, I am planning a disaster against these people from which you cannot save yourselves. Like, they're up against it. That lets you know that what they've been doing 
They know better. They've been doing it for a long time, and he's already done everything he can to get their attention. And now this is going to happen, and you cannot save yourselves. Like, punishment's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know something that I find interesting here, too, because we've read a lot about how there was so much idolatry going on all the time, but that's not the first thing that God points out here. He's pointing out the way they're treating each other mm-hmm. and specifically about how they're treating those who are less fortunate than them and underneath them. And this isn't like it's not like you're ignoring the guy on the side of the road and not giving him a buck. This is like going and kicking the guy on the side of the road and 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 taking the stuff that he's got. Yeah, you plot evil. You carry it out when you can, because you can. That's Mm -hmm. it. It's utter selfishness. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very, it's just very interesting that God doesn't take this like as a personal slight right away, other than he has been trying to teach them differently, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's not, you guys aren't worshiping me, right? It's you guys aren't even, you can't even treat each other right, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think those things go together. We want yeah. to separate them as if they're separable. It's kind of like, well, are we going to keep God's commandments or just love him? It's like, well, read book of John. I mean, Jesus says so many, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Mm-hmm. It's not one or the other. Um, and the book of James, it's like, do you have faith or do you do things as a result of your faith? It's not one or the other. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. This is... Uh, yeah, well, there's an old problem. So yeah. uh, chapter two, verse six, sounds like we read it. I don't know which book we read it in, but we've read it in several others. Quote, do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. They're, mm-hmm. they're, telling, they're telling the prophet, and perhaps in this case, just Micah, come on, don't be saying that bad things will happen. Basically, this idea that people don't want to be told that they're doing the wrong thing is a very, very old problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And God even like comes out in verse seven there. And it, it, kind of the way I took this is like, are, is it, are the hard times God's fault? You know, aren't his words to you good advice? So, you know, when they're, when, when they're being, being given warnings, uh, you know, they always want to blame the prophet and and even God is 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 saying you know if if you were if you were follow if you were following maybe these hard times wouldn't be fall uh, wouldn't be falling on you the way they are um, but why are you why are you blaming the prophet and maybe maybe even to the point of why are you blaming God? Yeah, and verse eleven has a very interesting uh, kind of thing. It kind of talks about what they would rather hear. Is if a man <laughs> go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher for this people. It's like, that's the sermon series you guys want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They, they just want to hear that everything's going to be great and everything's going to be fine. And, and, well, I mean, even to the point of if you follow God, everything's going to be good for you. Well, We've talked about that a lot here. Well, that's not necessarily the case. And if somebody, if if God sends you a prophet and says things aren't going to be good, 
uh, maybe it's time to start preparing yourself for that because because his you know his words are his words are true, and it's it's like you know blaming the weatherman when he says it's going to rain. You know, it's well, it's going to rain. It's right. it's not like the weatherman seeded the clouds. It's not like he's making it happen necessarily. <laughs> it's just uh, it's just uh, it's just. You know, just reading the news, you know? Yeah, reading. and it's not as if when we turn it off, it's going to stop it. And that's yeah. the thing with, with the children of, well, Israel and um, and in Judah, they kind of figured that, well, as long as they can turn off the prophet, that's going to stop what happens. You know, it's it's like a story of uh, that I read about some guys, they were driving, traveling cross-country in, a, in an old Volkswagen bus. So they're in this bus, and the... Uh, the engine light comes on and they look at each other like, oh, what are we going to do? And one of the guys goes, don't worry, I totally can solve this. He pulls his gum out and sticks it over the light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's essentially what these people are doing here with God's warnings. They're like, ah, just don't preach. We'll be fine. Yeah. And Micah is saying, yeah, it's not that, not that easy. Not only that. But in, in 3, verse 5, the people apparently have their own prophets who are leading them astray. Uh, who And God addresses this a little bit. In fact, that's a lot of chapter 3, is God is addressing specifically the leaders and rulers, uh, saying you should know about justice, and then calling them out for the their prophets, and it says, who lead my people astray. And that is, again, that's an old problem. If you are reading the Bible and are interested in what's happening both now and in our future, <laughs> Jesus warns of false prophets a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of talk there about rulers who are, they should know justice and they should be exhibiting a desire to do good. But instead, they're mistreating their people, taking advantage of them and and there's a warning there in verse four that God is not going to listen to them when they cry out. Now they've kind of had their chance. It sounds like to me. Yeah. Yeah. And then those prophets who are, you know, saying all the niceties, they're only doing that because they're getting paid. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise they wouldn't be saying anything at all. And they're not, they're not going to be given any more messages. And yeah, um, in verse 11, it says that these same prophets say, yet they lean on the Lord and say, quote, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Again, it's a thing we've talked many times about is just claiming to be speaking for God does not mean you're speaking for God. We had back, uh, I believe it was a- oh, no, Ahab and, uh, and another king were getting ready to go to battle. We, we've mentioned this more than once. And... <laughs> And King Ahab, or no, the other king, um, oh, wish I could pl- place his name right now. Yeah. Um, asks Ahab, so isn't there an actual prophet of God? I mean, you had 400 of your own prophets, but isn't there a prophet of God? And, and Ahab says, well, yeah, but he doesn't tell me what I want to hear. Right. This, this is, I guess my point is, is that we should be paying attention when these things show up over and over. And we should probably, instead of just a matter of history, looking backwards, say, wait a minute, is there any chance we're doing this today? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Second 
Timothy, and I think we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, 2 Timothy 4, 3. So they're looking into the future here. It says, for a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. And then, to, and then to God's people. But you keep your head in all situations, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. it's like, no, it has happened. It will happen again. This is so within human nature. It's like I am uncomfortable with what God is saying. La 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 la. I can't hear you. And then that's it. The problem solved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think we're we're aware that politically we do that. We tune oh. into the. Yeah to the channel that tells us what we already want to hear. But I think that's the low hanging fruit. We should really ask God and, you know, check ourselves. Are we doing this spiritually? Are we only looking for the things that we want to hear? Are we, are, are we really looking for what God has to say to us, even if it's an uncomfortable truth? I heard something interesting on uh, Christian radio. It was a few, it was maybe a few months ago, and um, this caller called in, and she said she told the DJs she's like my husband and I have a rule. We check in with each other, and she goes we we consider this between the two of us. We consider this to be spiritually responsible. We check in with each other periodically, not every day, not every day at three p.m., just like periodically, and make sure that the other one is being pushed by God or poked by Satan. She said, if there ever comes a time when we are no longer being poked by Satan, specifically poked in a recognizable way, we both get alarmed. Like, where are we becoming complacent that he thinks it's okay to leave us alone? Mm. Isn't that an interesting perspective? And like, Mm -hmm. as a couple, they just do this. And they consider it responsible to their Christian growth and to their Christian awareness. And I was just like, wow, the, talk about interesting conversations and what an interesting way to look at that and to interact with your spouse in that way. Like, are you doing okay spiritually? Are you are you growing? Are you lazy? Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, it, it is an interesting uh thing to consider that if you're not if you're not finding opposition then then maybe you're you're not on that right path if you're yeah, on that easy I, I don't path because yep. let i mean following following christ is not is not the easy path mm-hmm. it just isn't uh, i mean yeah. i think not I, the what's that you said it's the best but not the easiest yeah yeah i you know i i think you can find a lot of inner peace um, and I think that, uh, I think it makes for a richer life, but it definitely has challenges. You will, you will be faced with obstacles by following Jesus. That's just the way it is. It's not going to be sunshine, sh- sunshine and rainbows. There will be those moments. There will be those times when, when you when it will be, but there will be also those times when something, somebody is, uh, well, like Karen said, poking you. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, Micah here, he is contrasting himself to those who like to hear and say the niceties because he says, uh, 
he he's been given power by the Spirit of the Lord to prophesy against Israel for their sins. Uh, that's a bold statement for somebody to make. I think you got to be sure, man. You got to be sure that you're hearing from God before you start <laughs> getting up and and speaking against anybody. You know, I'm not, you know, not that I can count myself as a prophet by any sense of the of of the word, but I know that those times when I when I try to get up and boy, I think that I'm I'm righteous and, and I've got justice on my side and I speak out, um, I usually end up putting my foot in my mouth when I do it, you know. I can't and, imagine that's true. I can't even picture that happening. Nope. Me putting my foot in my mouth? Yeah. <laughs> I, I got big feet. You'd, you'd be amazed how much I can get in this big mouth. <laughs> but um, he is definitely he is definitely claiming to be different from these other these other prophets who are who are speaking out. So okay, so real quick before we go on to the next thing, there mm -hmm. was there was an aspect of Micah. It's a lot shorter than Job, but it kind of reminded me of Job because it's like an ongoing back and forth between him and God. He's like, "This is what I'm here to say," and then God says, and then my response is, and then God says, and here's my reaction to that. I thought that was kind of interesting. It's like this conversation back and forth. Yeah, it is. It's like it's like well, you like you say a response. Almost more than conversation. Although there are times when it sounds like Micah is talking to God, yeah. And there's times when it sounds like God is talking to Israel and Judah through Micah. Yeah, it is an mm -hmm. interesting back and forth um, in this book. It's very, yeah, it's very interesting because there's a couple times I had to back up and go, okay, wait a minute, who's talking to who yeah, here now? <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. I didn't get that right away. Uh, but yeah, that was that was very interesting. Yeah, we kind of talked about this here. The rulers, you know, we've got rulers who abhor justice. They pervert equity. They take, they they uh, make judgments for bribes. We have priests who are teaching for pay. And I don't think that's talking about, you know, some clergy getting paid to teach. But in this case, it sounds like that's the only way they will teach is for pay. And prophets giving prophecies for money. But yet they're still claiming that the Lord is with them. And because they think the Lord is with them, they also think they're safe, which is probably why they continue to say everything's going to be fine. Don't listen to Micah. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You're going to everything's going to be OK because God that, is on that, our side. That reminds me of a thing in the New Testament. Not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, mm. will enter into the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> mm -hmm. There will be people that are like, no, we did all this stuff in your name. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, when as we evangelize and as we try to talk to other people about Christ and to bring them into the church, so to speak, and I'm not talking about any particular denomination, I'm just introducing them to Jesus, I, I think there's a temptation to want to tell them that everything's going to be great if they follow Jesus. Right. And But, I mean, it's really sounding to me here, like, anybody who just tells you that everything's going to be great if you just follow Jesus, if you just have more faith in Jesus, everything's going to be good. It sounds to me like you better put your guard up uh, against anybody who starts talking like that. And because it's, we're told here in verse 12, is because of these kind of people who are saying these kind of things, this is why Jerusalem is going to, is going to, uh, the way I put it, is be destroyed. But I think that I, I think to go along with that, not to alarm newcomers to the faith, mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I think to go along with that, your priorities shift, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in this world, you will have trouble, but do not be afraid. I have overcome the world. Do not fear the person who can hurt your body. Fear the person who can hurt your eternal soul, right? Like it's a different set of priorities. So when you step into that faith, when you step into that belief system, I think that you you just shift your gaze a little bit. You shift your focus so that the things that you would, the goals that you would normally say, well, what's in it for me? That attitude falls away when you fall in love with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's a hymn. Uh, how's it go? Um, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Mm-hmm. For all the things of the world will go strangely dim in the yes. light of his glory and grace. Yeah. I don't know if that's the exact words. It's been a while since I've sung that it's song. It's very close. But uh, that's the that that's the that's the gist of it. That's the and and it is interesting how the longer you try to devote yourself to Jesus, the less that all those things in the world that used to seem so important, mm-hmm. the less important they feel to you. What Paul talks about that when he he compares Christians to soldiers to foot soldiers, and he mm-hmm. says. A foot soldier doesn't spend his time worrying about the things going on outside of his job. He focuses on his commander. Like, that's where his focus is. He just does what he's told. And those other concerns, they're they're not even on his radar. Yeah. And I've, uh, I've never been in the military, but I've always gotten the impression that that's where a lot of the training probably comes in, is listening to that person who's telling you what to do. And doing it and and setting aside the other concerns um, so that when they do say to do it, you just automatically go in that direction. Uh, Chapter four, the beginning of chapter four, what time period did you the two of you think that this is talking about? Because it begins talking about in the latter days. Did you take that to be like this is maybe end times stuff being talked about here? Or are we just talking about later on in Israel's history? I definitely had that same question and took several looks at this. I think there's elements of both. Mm-hmm. And I think to look at this in chapter four specifically, this is just me. And for those of you who maybe don't know this and listening to the podcast, I used to be an, an English teacher. That was my, that was uh, what I was going to be doing out of school and uh, so on. I think chapter, and I'm, I'm not the, the authority, right? Okay, so I'll just make that clear. But as I look at chapter four, I look at this as poetic. It is some poetic um form and maybe a little bit of license and here's why i don't think it is in the earth made new latter days because Mm -hmm. it's saying they they're going to have their swords and beat them into plowshares well one is like what are swords doing in the new kingdom at all ever Mm -hmm. and then it says something really kind of um interesting is it says and he shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. Like, Wait a minute, who's who's having disputes in in a in a new new creation? Mm-hmm. You know, if we have so there's these kinds of things. And in Isaiah, there's a similar passage where it says, you know, 
and it's like the lion will, will lay down with the lamb is it's very it's like in that same section it gets a little fuzzy time-wise because it says and the young person who dies at 120 will be considered you know that they died young and like wait a minute why would they be dying if it's the the, the new earth mm-hmm. i don't know where to place this in space and time uh somebody with more i guess um uh, just uh, surety in their opinion can can give that to you, but um, I think that w- if we keep this kind of as as a poetic thing and say what is what can we learn from what God would want for His people out of this, we come away with a different lesson than if we had the answer to exactly when this would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you there, Eric. I think it's largely poetic, even if it is talking about New Earth stuff. I th- still think it's poetic in nature because like you say why would they have swords well it's not the point that they would have swords right it's kind of the point that there will be no use for a sword it's not it's not that um somebody's going to die at the age of 100 years old it's just that 100 years old that's going to seem very very that would seem like uh very young yes yes Um, i agree so so yeah, I don't think it's meant to be taken literally so so much as it is to be this this is just a sort of a word picture to get you to kind of think about what things what things will be like. Yes. Yes, I agree. And I think that God wanted this. He wanted this literally for his literal Israel. Yes. These mm-hmm. thousands of years ago. I think he would have wanted this to be their literal existence they wouldn't let him be their king we went through that when we went through the uh the judges they didn't have a king and they're like we want a king and it's like oh, you guys that's not going to be good and then god had to talk to samuel and said they're not they're not rejecting you they're rejecting me mm-hmm. and that's pretty serious when you re- reject god as your leader uh it's, they've been on this downward trajectory ever since then um m- more or less so this, I think, is, a, is is we can look at this in all those different layers and say, well, what, you know, for the temporal Israelites, what could this have been in the future? What what kind of future does God want for us? I mean, it's, it's it speaks of a of of peace. You know, all of this is peace. They shall every man sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. Mm-hmm. It's pretty awesome, you know, that 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 would be. Um, kind of the future that they could have. So I think if we look at that poetically, we learn more than if we perseverate over the literalness of the details. Right. We found the, we found the, uh, found the English teacher that, what was that word you used? Perseverate. Isn't that a good one? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So like some of the other prophets that we've been listening to here, I've noticed too, that Micah kind of bounces back and forth between there's going to be bad stuff and there's going to be good stuff and there's going to be yes. bad stuff and there's going to be good stuff. Um, because, yeah, right there he's talking about how how at some point in the future, God is going to be the supreme 
ruler, if you want to call it, supreme ruler kind of has a negative connotation today, maybe, but but the, he, he will be the supreme authority. I mean, it talks about nations are going to come to him. It talks about everybody will, will sit, they're going to, they're, they're going to be come to him to be taught. People will come to be taught and he will act as the judge. War will be a thing of the past. But we also get in this chapter that God is going to gather the afflicted as a remnant and reign over them. So yes, there's going to be there's going to be hard times. There's going to be um, things happen to you that you're not going to like. And we've talked to these other or, or, or listened to these other prophets who have been saying all this stuff is to get your attention. All this stuff is to bring you back to where you're supposed to be so that God can pull you back. So that you 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 you've got to learn these lessons so that God God can bring people back as that remnant. And How long it, were they in Babylon when they went? Is it seventy years? That's what's in my head. So did you guys notice in verse ten, the second half of verse ten in chapter four, talking about abbreviated future? You will go to Babylon, and there you will be rescued. There the Lord mm -hmm. will redeem you out of the hand of your enemies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's just an interesting concept, too. Like you say, it's abbreviated. But you're going to go to Babylon. That's not where you want to be. But you're, gonna, you're going to be taken away, and that's where you're going to be rescued. That is an interesting concept to think that this place where all this hardship is going to be placed on you, that's your rescue. That's your, that is your redemption, uh, or at least that's the tool for your redemption. Yeah, and, and this is this chapter is really bounces around, like like Matt said, it's good news, it's bad news, it's warning, it's hey, well, this future is going to be incredible, and I could imagine, you know, the Jews after the Babylonian captivity reading selective portions of this <laughs> and thinking. Man, we're going to be a great nation again someday. We're going to be make Israel great again. You know, they're all wearing the hats. Um, and and expect this Messiah to come and do this. And when Jesus says, I got a different idea, they are not happy because what they want is they want political and economic dominance over the Romans and everybody else. And it brings up a point is like, we, and I would encourage you to be careful as we read the Bible so that we are not just reading the parts that we want to read and that we want to hear and missing missing some of the challenges. Because it, Micah goes on. There's some really good stuff as we, keep, as we keep going here where Micah lays it down, what is actually expected of us. And it's not really, it's not mysterious. It's not easy, but it's not mysterious. No. what we're what we're asked to uh, to get into. And I think that with a misreading of the scripture, we can come up with just about anything. And as we talked about you know earlier here, Karen mentioned Timothy, we're itching ears, you know, we'll find a preacher. You can find somebody on social media or YouTube to tell you just about anything you want to believe is okay. That doesn't make it okay. Right. Um, and it, you can it, go to bed with less cognitive dissonance. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, because you found someone else who said that 
your theory is the right one. Hooray. And so I think as we read through the Bible, as we look for this, we've got to do it prayerfully. Um, which, just a note to our listeners, we have prayer together before we start every podcast. I don't know, Matt, if you include every one of those. But, um, but we do. We take this seriously. This is not that we're the ultimate authorities on this. Please don't. <laughs> the description of the, of the podcast makes that clear <laughs> that we're, you know, we're regular people. But we're seeking God's leading. And sometimes that's challenging to us personally, to our, uh, but, but we have to come at this with an open mind and say, God, what do you have to teach us today in this? And I'm sure as Micah talked to his, to the people of the day, there were some who listened uh, because it's, it is, I want to point this out is that some did listen. There were some good people. Remember in the book of Daniel, we're skipping ahead a little bit. There were some very faithful people who went into Babylon. Daniel and his three friends were, wow. I mean, they were steadfast. Uh, I don't think there's a single negative thing recorded about Daniel that as a person at all, big or small. So there were some people who listened to this kind of stuff, who were God's people, um, but the majority weren't listening. And as a result, the captivity happened and Micah marches on. Mm-hmm. There's um, there's a, a text that I, I did not really remember ever reading in the Bible. Matt brought it up a few months ago. It's in Proverbs. It's in Proverbs 4, verse 7. And it says, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. There it is. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. And then if you skip down to verse 13, it says, hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Right. And then the verse, uh, the chapter before that, chapter three, um, has some fairly famous verses in it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Submit to him. He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And a couple of verses down, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as the father does the son he delights in. But if you go back to the end of chapter one of Proverbs, there's a rather sobering section where it's 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 the the wake of people who did not turn to God. And uh, then it says, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways. Like this is a long, slow play out of what we sow. Is it Lamentations that says that, we'll, that we sow the wind and we reap the whirlwind? But um, anyway, it's, it's, it's kind of it's just kind of interesting. Like we go along, we get comfortable. We like our thoughts. We want to hear them repeated back to us from authorities. So we find authorities that agree and onward it goes. And we, I mean, we just have to be willing to set that aside, turn to God, be open to what he actually says. And even though it may be squirmingly uncomfortable for us and we might find out we're wrong. Also, I got really excited about chapter five because then it talks about the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so chapter four finishes up basically saying that there's all these nations that are going to come against Jerusalem, but they don't know God's plans. 
Zion's going to be made strong again. And then it slips in and, into chapter five. And keep in mind, those chapter breaks were put later. So I think this is a, to me, I think this is a continuing thought. They don't know God's plans. Defeat and humiliation are coming to Israel. But then we get into one of the most famous, I think, verses of the Bible concerning the Messiah. But you, F, uh, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Therefore, shall, uh, so, I mean, that's that's one that comes up every Christmas. We always we always bring that one up at Christmas time because it is it is. Uh, yeah. Like you said, talking about the Messiah and, um, you know, people, these people have been looking for the Messiah for a long time, or at least they should have been. And, and, you know, it talks about who's, it talks about who's going forth are for of old from of old and from everlasting. And so that it's interesting to me that when Jesus came, it seemed like they were just looking for a political leader. And I think Eric, you, you said something about this just a few minutes ago, how, how they're just, the, the, they're, they're expecting to have this political dominance and this military dominance, even at the time of Micah. And even back when we get to the time of, of Jesus, they're looking for the same thing. But this prophecy, to me, I mean, this this sounds to me like Messiah is something far beyond anything like that. And it's interesting to me that they didn't catch that. There's a lot here. You know, the, the last half of five, uh, chapter 5, verse 5 and verse 6, if you were just going to focus on those things, I could understand how they might think, hey, this, this Messiah is going to be just, he's going to lead us to ruler. Yeah. You know, to be rulers of everybody, you know, in, in, in chapter verse six, uh, they shall they I'm assuming they're thinking Israel shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod as it, at its entrances. And he shall deliver us the Messiah, I guess, deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes to our land and treads within our border. So, I, you know, no doubt they read these things and like, yeah, he's going to he's going to beat everybody back and. We're going to be we're going to be amazing again. You know, uh, verses eight and nine echo that too. And so, it is. I mean, the dimension is there. It's like it's there. I understand how some of them got that, but it is not solely there. I mean, we got Isaiah fifty three that they seem to have missed entirely. But yeah, there's some there's some military might there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Verses 7 and 8 I thought were interesting. Talks about, let me see here. The remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples. Uh, and it goes on, let's see. Oh, verse 8. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles. That that had to have been a baffling thought to them. Yes. Because the remnant of Jacob should have all been Israelites, Jews. And this verse is specifically saying that some of these people, quote unquote, brought back are going to be from the Gentiles. And, um, you know, for a nation that is so that has been so strongly oh, founded, I guess, on their national pride 
and their family pride because you know these are all when it gets right down to it everybody's family here when you go back far enough and of the you know the 12 brothers and the 12 sons of of israel because we've talked about a remnant a remnant has it should be coming from the beginning and they're thinking of the of the remnant as or you know as the beginning as being probably like the tribes of jacob the tribes of israel and now if there's if there's somebody coming back who's just like the beginning um this is telling me that this would this remnant would be coming from even farther back than the israelites and maybe even abraham you know what i'm saying if they took the time to to listen to that and think about what what he was saying there I think it might have been a little mind blowing to them. And then when Jesus came and he's talking to to Gentiles and and when Paul uh yeah, when Paul is bringing bringing Gentiles into the faith later, this verse should have I think should have come up in their minds. Doesn't seem like it did though. Yeah. There's there's some other interesting things we've talked about some of the things that God has said. Hey, these are, see, these are some of the reasons why you're in trouble, basically. Uh, in chapter 5, uh, verse 12, he says, you know, I will cut off sorceries from your hands. You shall have no more tellers of fortunes. Um, carved images, pillars, those are going down. You shall bow no more to the work of your hands. So this is where the, uh, this, this refers way back to prohibitions against uh, sorceries and fortune-telling. Basically, the short version of this is that God wants his people to ask him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want them to ask tea leaves or dice or a crystal ball or bones scattered around, whatever it is that they were doing. He wants his people to ask him and to trust him with the future, not to seek the future ourselves and say, well, I'll handle the future myself. Thank you very much. I think that that's more important. And so I think sometimes evangelicalism, uh, some get down just on the idea of uh, fortune tellers and sorceries. Like that's just bad. Well, I think the reason that that's bad is because it's just a form of us taking control of what God said. No, I'm in control of that. And yet there are so many other ways that we seek to control our futures, our destinies, and without seeking God first. And I propose that maybe those other ways are just as dangerous. Yeah, all those things are going to get taken away. Uh, in in uh, chapter 6, God presents a question to them in verse uh, 3. What have I done to you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what have I done to you? I pulled you out of Egypt. Um, I gave you... Specifically, he talks about Moses and Aaron, uh, Moses and Aaron and Miriam, to 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 lead them and to uh, express God's will. And he brings up uh, Balak and Balaam. If you remember, Balak wanted Balaam to curse the Israelites, and Balaam, we found out later, wasn't even a valid that great of a prophet because he was kind of guilty of some of the things we've talked about here. But he could only he could only bless them. So even when somebody wanted to curse them, 
they couldn't because for money didn't Balak offer to pay him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think it was basically the reason why why Balaam wanted to go so badly because he wanted the money, uh, but he couldn't do it. He couldn't curse them. Tried, couldn't do it. And that's kind of what God is saying here. It's like I've I have all I have ever done is good things for you. So why are you treating me this way now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, verses six through eight is a really famous passage. And there was there was one time when my kids were little, that's little enough they may not even remember this. And it was the first time I had said these verses to my kids. And it gets down to kind of like the punchline. So, so verses six and seven are a series of sort of uh, Socratic questions. Like, what about this? What about that? What about this? How do we approach God, right? And then in verse eight, it actually answers the question. And I'm going to read this the way I said it to my children. See if you can find the problem. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your dog. (laughs) At which point my son went into gales of giggles and was like, does it really say dog? And I was like, oh, man, I ruined the punchline. (laughs) (laughs) anyway i love these yeah. verses yeah well and it and it is it really is so good it's good to me because it shows me that even then the rules specifically were not what was important mm-hmm. yes they needed to be they needed to be followed but Ultimately, they were supposed to be teaching you something. They were supposed to be getting a reaction from you. They were supposed to be getting you to to think about something. And not just do the things to try to get God to like you. Because that's not what he's asking for. He's just he just wants you to be a decent person. I mean, that's really it. Does he want the sacrifice? Well, no, he doesn't want the sacrifice from you because what he wants for from you really is to not need the sacrifice. Right. You know, so so don't go thinking like we were talking before. Don't think that you can be laying there in your bed thinking about how you're going to screw somebody over and then well, I'll just be able to present a sacrifice later and it's going to be fine because that's that's not the way it works at all, at all. You know, in that situation. I don't think the sacrifice would be any good anyway. Right. Well, we read that already in the podcast. God says, I'm sick of your solemn assemblies Mm -hmm. as if getting together and taking yourself seriously, you know, it with somber faces makes up for the fact that you're not doing the right thing. You're not connected. And again, they're inseparable. If you're connected to God, you're going to do the things that he asked you to do. And doing the things he asked you to do, I believe, brings us closer to God. Even if we just do them mechanically at first, if we do them and we're saying, well, I don't understand how this works, but I'll do it anyways. For the purpose of seeking you, we will be brought in a closer relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Yes, very famous. Very famous. Oh, he has told you, oh man, what is good. This is uh, 
ESV. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? A lot of people say, well, I don't know what to do. The Bible's too confusing. It's just there's so many this and that and the other. Do this and don't do that. Well, here's one. This one's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say easy. It's simple. It's 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 simple like E equals MC squared. That's pretty simple. Yeah. Um, is that really easy to, you know, get your head around and put that into what that all means? That's a different animal right there. And that's what this is. But this this echoes what Jesus has said. He said, you know, look, you tithe your mint and dill and cumin and, you know, you, you, you do all these little things, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, you know, justice and, and, and morality. And then he says, look, not that you should have left the other things undone. Go ahead and do those, but pay attention to the big ticket items. And Micah here is pointing one of those out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Justice and mercy and humility. Simple. It's it's simple. I mean, it should be simple. Yeah, that is. And, and, and uh, getting all bogged down into the how specifically should I do this? Uh, just do it, man. <laughs> we get more talk about uh, punishment for Israel's in, injustice. Um, it talks about. Oh, how did I put it? You talk about. Um, Oh, are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked? And it talks about specifically uh, short measures and deceitful weights. So um, talking about dishonest trade, not just, yeah, not just, uh, not just kicking, kicking the guy on the side of the road, but I mean, just messing with everybody that you can and cheating to get ahead constantly. And they talk, they talk about violence and lies and deceit, um, it's just not, it's just, it's just, it's a wreck. Everything's a wreck, it sounds like. They're religious, so they've, they've got, they're, they're doing economic injustice. Mm-hmm. And a lot of um, uh, 10, 11, and then there's violence, there's physical violence that is in 12. Uh, they're lying. And then there's a very interesting thing that God says is part of their punishment. You will eat but not be satisfied. You will put away, but not preserve. Mm-hmm. You will sow, but not reap. And another prophet says elsewhere, you will put your money into bags with with holes in the bottom, basically is what he's saying. And and I think, wow, how does this describe, how much does this describe us today? We, we, we go to, uh, let's say, the Internet for information, and are we satisfied? We get more and more and more and more and more and more and we're never satisfied with it. Mm. You know, we, we want these things to, to come in faster and quicker and, and bigger and better and all these. And we get all those things, but it doesn't satisfy. And what an interesting what just just it's just an interesting kind of a punishment. It sounds almost kind of Twilight Zone ish, you know, that. Yeah, you can sow all you want to, but you won't reap it. It's just like, well, but that always happens when we sow. It's like, well, not not this time. You'll put it away, but it won't be preserved. You'll eat, but you won't be satisfied. It's just, it's just a, it's an interesting. I thought that was an interesting poetic thing that he's saying. Hey, life without God is just, it's not going to satisfy. Right. 
Yeah, and it sounds like um, anybody who tries to pull anybody out of what's happening, that's going to be futile too. Uh, you're not going to it's basically you're not going to save anybody from from this judgment that's coming. You're 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 all you're all either going to go through these things or you're going or I think if I'm not mistaken, it was like if you you're either going to go through these things or you're going to die by the sword. If I'm rem- if I'm remembering how I read that correctly, so so don't try to fight this because it's it's not gonna it's not gonna work out for you. There's one thing here I had to kind of go and look at and understand. It's talking about how they've been they've uh, Israel has had these statues of Omri around. According to the, the this note in my Bible, his he was just as famous to northern Israel as David was to southern judah so they were um you know they were kind of revering this king and he was one of the bad ones but uh they sure liked him i didn't look him up to see who he was but i assumed he was one of the bad ones because it said you have observed the statutes of Omri and all the practices of Ahab's house. Mm-hmm. So it kind of lumped him together with Ahab. So I was like, oh, that must be a bad dude. I didn't go look yeah. it up. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So he was he was kind of considered a national hero, apparently, which is interesting because, well, I mean, we haven't really heard much about him since, you know, I mean, we talked about him quite a while ago. But um, interesting that he's he's. uh Kind of just seen as this folk hero to them. Chapter 7 goes into sorrow for Israel's sins. And it starts out, uh, how did verse 1 put it? So this is like, it's like trying to gather summer fruit when there's nothing to harvest. Yeah. Um, I can think of of times, we, we had a cherry tree in our yard when I was a kid. And if you didn't, if you didn't get out there before the birds, there was there was nothing to pick. You know, you weren't getting any cherries. So going out to to try to pick cherries when there's no cherries, it's frustrating and it's disappointing. You know, I suppose, you know, like you Karen, you had your you had your grapes. And if you went out to harvest grapes and there were no grapes to harvest and you'd put so much work into it uh, and we're really looking forward to it, that's uh, it's not fun. It's not fun at all. Periodically, when the grapes were ripe, I had four different kinds of grapes growing on this this arbor. And periodically, when they were ripe, because they smelled really sweet. Like, you could smell them at 15 paces, and that was with a human nose, right? And sometimes mm. I would look out into the backyard where the arbor was, and this, ugh, the stupid dog would be out there inside the arbor, very carefully picking grapes off and eating them. And I was just like, dog, stop. <laughs> Interesting, interesting. Yeah. I've, well, it's interesting because I've heard that grapes aren't supposed to be good for dogs, but we always gave our dogs grapes too, and it, they didn't, uh, they didn't freak mm-hmm. out about it. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. So this is, I think this is Micah talking because he's like, "Woe is me," because this is like going out to gather, gather fruit uh, when there's nothing to harvest. And he says, "There's, there's no one upright among men." Everybody, everybody is just being terrible. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. Mm-hmm. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other with nets. This is crazy stuff. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you get into a little bit. Oh, chapter verse five. Don't yeah. trust a friend. Do not trust a friend. It sounds like, you know, you, everybody is just, they're backstabbing each other. They're, yeah. they're just, they're cheating each other. They are, um, don't trust a neighbor. Don't trust a friend. Don't trust a lover. Don't trust your son, your daughter, your daughter-in-law. Your enemies are the members of your own house. Mm-hmm. And then he says, as for me, I assume this was Micah talking because of verse seven. Mm-hmm. As for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. Yeah. And then he goes into a really nice few verses about don't gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my, pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see it and be covered with shame. She who said to me, where is the Lord your God? So he's looking forward to God's redemption after the coming punishment, knowing that the coming punishment is deserved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the last half of chapter seven, it's very much... Don't trust in don't trust in people. Don't trust in the messages that you're being given. Uh, don't trust that just because somebody says they're your friend that they're going to be honest with you. Trust in God. If you can trust in God, then your trust will be in the right place. I mean, he, yeah, he's even talking about in verse nine. He's he's willing to take that judge. He's yeah, willing to take that judgment. He understands that as a human being, he's sinned against God and deserves judgment. But he also says, "God will plead my case and bring justice, mm-hmm. and, and I will see His righteousness." So even through this judgment, he understands, and he's telling everybody, he's telling us that even through the judgment, God is righteous. He is good. He's doing the right. Thing. And those enemies who they're going to be shamed who said, where is your God? You know, we hear those. I hear those words a lot these days. You know, where's God? Why is God? You know, if your God is so great, why is he letting this happen? This, you know, that right. kind of thing, you know, and you, you, you make a comment. Especially on the social media where everybody's basically uh anonymous but you make a comment about trusting in god and you get the laughy face you know the the laugh the laughing emoji you get laughed at for it and um they'll they're gonna see because i don't think this is just for israel this is for this is for our time too when the you know these i don't necessarily consider all these people my enemies necessarily but when they're laughing at me and you for having this trust in God, they're gonna they're gonna see so eventually that you your trust was in the right place. The nation. So I, I've got a um I've got a parallel Bible. So the last let's see what is it one two three the last three verses are really like a total like glory to God because of His character kind of a thing. Or glory to God for your character. It's kind of a direct communication from Micah to God. 
And I've got a parallel Bible. It's got four different versions, two translations and two paraphrases. And I'm going to read, I want to read one of the paraphrases. I don't read the paraphrases very often, but I'm going to read the New Living Translation version of, of verses 18, 19, and 20. So it says, where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors, Abraham and Jacob, long ago. And I like that version of it because it emphasizes... The separation of God's hatred and destruction of sin and his willingness to take a very hard stance against it, while at the same time loving his the people who committed the sins. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. it's uh that's a beautiful verse. It's a beautiful sentiment there. A, a God who forgives uh how how did that put it because mine says pardoning iniquity how did yours say it again uh it says uh once again you will have compassion on us you will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean yeah so so much there not just i mean that that sounds to me like even that's more than forgiveness that is just like totally taking it away and and doing away with it um and a god a God who does that, because most, so often, so often people want to paint Old Testament God as just being angry and and uh, wanting to, wanting to squash you, you know. And here it's like, nope, he is ready to forgive you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to just take those sins and, and you know, let's just, let's just put those over there and let's not think about them anymore and uh that's i don't know it's it's amazing because i don't hear of a lot of other gods especially you think of the gods who were always asking for the sacrifices and stuff it was to appease them it was to make them feel good it was to convince them to be on your side and that's not the god we're talking about here you, you don't have to convince god to be on your side he's on your side he just wants you to do, he wants you to live well. He wants you to treat people well. He wants you to um, just just live a life where you're not trying to put other people down and lift yourself up. Yeah, comp- compromise with sin is not acceptable. Yeah. That's basically what I got out of this. Like, mm-hmm. compromise with sin is not acceptable. And his people had gotten to the point where they were they needed a serious correction they were mm-hmm. going to get it. There was nothing that could stop it. And then they would be reconciled to God again once they had been corrected for another chance. Yep. Totally willing to work with us. Totally. Understand. I mean, he also, you know, he also understands that we're human beings. We're going to make mistakes. He gives us the opportunity for forgiveness. And and um, it's there for us. It's just It's there for us to take it. And it it is that is awesome. That's awesome that he would put it into that context of trampling it underfoot. That's basically it for Micah. Any final thoughts on Micah? I nope, think Micah there was a lot here. It was good though. Yeah. What were you saying, Eric? Uh, 
I think Micah wrapped it up pretty nicely. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. Well, okay, so, yeah, that it is it for Micah. Uh, next week, we're going to have, I don't know, I'm going to assign us a pretty, kind of a big one, big uh, uh, reading reading assignment here. We're going to go back into Second Chronicles chapter 28. We're going to read Second Kings 16 through 17. And then those are basically going to give us context for Isaiah 13 through 17. It's a lot, um, but I think it's um, I think it'll be a good and it, we'll get as far as we can. If we don't get all the way through it, then we'll we'll tack on to the next week. But that's going to give us a little context of where Isaiah is coming from in this next little bit of his prophecy, pro- prophesying to Israel. So Second Chronicles 28, Second Kings 16 through 17 and Isaiah 13 through 17. So while you are reading that and waiting for us for our next episode, you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Remember that you can find us on Facebook. Make sure you share the podcast with your friends and family. And make sure you subscribe so that we reach you in your feed each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.